Welcome to the one with all to one within all. <laughs> I'm excited to start. Welcome to the one within all back to Interverse podcast, another live stream. It's kind of convenient to do these because it cuts down on the post-production for me. And I'm going to do an event over the weekend, a healing arts retreat with some music, with some workshops. I'll be leading a workshop. It's over in Kansas. It's called Rejuvenation. And I'm looking forward to it. I've worked with the crew there before. So that is my reason for needing to stream this episode. And also because it's the kind of conversation where a lot of interactivity and Q&A will probably help us flow things forward. Today, I'm joined by a few friends from the Interverse Telegram group, which is an amazing <laughs> array of geniuses who share brilliance on a lot of different topics and varieties of expertise. With me is Rachel and Kaylee, and we're going to be talking about divination and runes. I'm not very experienced with runes. I'm kind of an I Ching man, but I'm definitely ready to learn about this alternative. And I bet that as we go, we'll sprinkle in some other conversation topics. I know Rachel has been getting a lot of experience with the Gene Keys system, which is a cool hybridization. We've talked about it a long time ago on the show, probably before anybody that currently <laughs> listens or very few people that currently listen wherever uh, tuning in. But let's go ahead and get this thing started. And I'll be watching the comments on YouTube and Rockfin. Oh, yeah. Housekeeping business. If you guys want the second hour, this is simul simulcasting, simultaneously streaming to both YouTube and Rockfin. Obviously, Rockfin's cooler and the stream will cut off at about an hour in for the YouTube crowd. So check the show notes description for a link to go jump on the Rockfin stream where it's an excellent uncensored platform, probably the uh, best option right now for content creators like myself. But yeah, welcome, Rachel. Welcome, Kaylee. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thank you. Since we're a trio today, probably best to maybe if I just like popcorn one of you at a time. But I want to ask both of you the same question. And that question is, can you tell us a little bit more about yourselves and your relationship to divination? And we'll start with you, Rachel. Okay. Um, I just kind of study intuitively. And it's something that I picked up just kind of for fun, in all honesty. And it turned into something really big and beautiful. So um, it's just kind of, I'm very visual. So having like a visual conversation with the divine is a lot of fun. And there's a lot of room for exploring things that I might not have thought of. Yeah, that's a very, very helpful aspect of divination. It leads your mind into pathways that you otherwise might not have ever gone down. So how about you, Kaylee? What's your divinatory background? And also, you know, anything you want to share to introduce yourself, go right ahead as well, of course. Well, I actually, as soon as we started the live, the uh, sound quality on my end went, went way down. And I did understand most of what you guys said but this is the reality of living on a farm is sometimes my internet is perfect sometimes it's not so great but i think i understood your question so okay cool um, <laughs> uh divination for me uh, especially with runes like i've always been really interested in trying to 
dive in my ancestral roots. Um, and uh, so my dad's side is like a shit mix of Gaelic <laughs> and my mom is Swedish and French. So I attached quite a bit to that Swedish side specifically and Elder Futhark is just one one thing that I really latched onto. Um, and yeah, like I really love how Rachel you put that it's a, a visual conversation because that's that's totally how I see it too. Um, it's a, a really effective way for me to yes, Capalicious, me too. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a really effective way for me to to check in with myself. And I often will get little little uh, warning or, or blips in the patterns of what I pull from myself that kind of tell me if I'm veering off course a little bit. So um, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's a, it's been a, a, an ever evolving and expanding practice for me, so. Definitely yeah. ever evolving, ever expanding, <laughs> taking you to new places, the further, like there is no bottom to it. That's what I figured out about the I Ching. 64 hexagrams, infinite information. Yeah, I feel like it's such an interesting relationship because, I mean, it does help you get it back into your roots, but it also does grow. I have, you know, I don't think I'm done studying runes. I mean, maybe I made it through memorizing them or something, but they show up all the time. You know, they always have lessons and it's always very interesting it's always very profound and affirming and sometimes it does prickle you a little but that's kind of the nature of nature <laughs> yeah the... oh, my, my ego. oh go ahead kaylee my ego hates that <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> don't point that out <laughs> oh she dropped out for a second oh, she no. may be in and out that's okay we can work with it and you know we'll catch her up if we have to i want to kind of talk about what just got brought up here the prickly part of divination because for me it seems like if there's ever something that i'm stuck on or holding on to like egoically it becomes that much more synchronistic with the divination tools like it will just be like Hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? It will never stop showing up in the cards or in the whatever it is I'm doing. And that is my way of sort of introducing what I consider divination to be, which is a conversation with yourself. And that the word is kind of mistaken, or maybe it does have this connotation of being about reading the future, telling mm -hmm. someone their fortune. It has all these kind of like negative wandering gypsy type things attached to it. But for me, it's never really been like, I've never looked for the answer of what's going to happen to me today on a literal level. I think I treat astrology in the same way. It's more like what can, what is looking at this today going to make me think about mm -hmm. and what is the dialogue I'm going to have for myself through this particular medium? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to ask a lot of those types of questions instead of what do I think is going to happen? It's more, what's a good way to handle today? You know, whatever is coming up, 
you know, maybe. Was that addressed to me or Rachel? Kind of both. Love to hear yeah. it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my internet dropped out for a minute there. So I think I'm gonna keep the cam off. So hopefully that keeps it a little bit more stable. Yeah, you know, we adapt. We roll with the punches here. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the the fortune telling thing. Um. Usually when I sit with my runes in the morning, I'm I'm more looking for what's what's the theme for today and kind of maybe what am I not looking at that I need to address. That's usually what ends up coming up anyway. Sometimes if I want if I really want to know something that's going to happen in the future, which definitely comes up a lot because I'm human. Um, <laughs> I'll get an answer that I don't like, <laughs> or they'll just, they'll, they'll give me their own answer that's not related to the question that I asked, but I needed to know more. So <laughs> that's usually how it goes for me with tarot too, tarot too. If I, if I'm asking a question about something that I really want to know, that's usually more ego-based or even based on the, like a, a wound and a fear or an anxiety, it'll give me a different answer something will answer something totally different so that's usually how that goes <laughs> okay so let's dive in a little bit deeper on runes themselves i as someone who hasn't used them before my outside interpretation is that these are like an alphabet and that each of these letters if you will holds a wide range of vibratory information just like when you start looking at words and you see patterns like the letter d for example there's a lot of divisive or negative words that fit into starting with the letter d not that the letter d itself is evil but then you look at the shape of it and it's a circle cut in half so things that are divisive would make sense that they would spin out of a symbol with that shape so what do you guys think about runes as far as like what they are, what, where they came from? And we'll start with uh, Rachel and then bounce over to Kaylee on this one. Um, I definitely see them as glyphs because they do contain, as letters, they do contain a ton of information. And I think a lot of alphabets started as pictographs. So while they do represent very specific things in life, they can represent much more because there's always another layer deep that you can go. Um, but I definitely do see them as patterns of nature, kind of like you were talking about with the I Ching. Uh, the way that they flow describes the flow of life, the flow of growth and evolution that people can go through just day to day, in their entire life, that type of thing. We got you, Kaylee. Still with us. Maybe a little laggy. Who knows? You guys, I'm so sorry. My internet, I can barely understand what Rachel is saying. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I don't know. I can't get any closer to my router. So I think that I actually need to bow out for a little bit and come back again when I've got a better internet connection. 
Hey, no problem. You've got the StreamYard link. You can also try tuning in and just shooting us some comments in the live chat. I'll be watching for those. And at any point, if you want to jump back in, we can give it another shot. It's all right. You know, don't blame yourself. It's the the host job to make sure that all the tech difficulties are ironed out. And I spent the uh, 15 minutes before we all convened playing outside in the backyard with my dog instead. Sometimes you got to do it. So Kaylee, no worries. Uh, you probably couldn't even understand that very well, but you said you're going to bow out for now and that's totally fine. We'll see if you can rejoin, but if not, we can hold this down. Yeah, I'm disappointed, but thank you so much, Chance, for inviting me. And I will definitely need to reschedule with you guys. <laughs> so enjoy your conversation and I will tune in on the other side. All right, Kaylee, we'll see you. Okay, now that we have dealt with the technical issues in the best way we know how, which is to say, <laughs> not today. <laughs> uh, you know, I picked today as a Wednesday, I think intuitively with the belief that maybe we get a little help from that messenger of the gods with this energy, but. Sometimes he's a fickle, very uh, two-sided <laughs> type of character. Trickster. <laughs> yeah, so where were we? We're talking about runes. What can we say about the origin of these? Because one, I mean, I know that neither of us has, uh, I guess, like a academic background in studying this stuff, but do you think that they have, uh, Do you, or maybe it's a better way of rephrasing the question, Regardless of the origin, what we can say about it, do you think that that type of sort of cultural veracity, if you will, like that they really came from the place where it's popularly believed they came from actually matters to the outcome of using the tool? Or do you think that the tool becomes your own regardless of where it came from? I think a little bit of both, you know, because knowing having that knowledge of where exactly it came from can definitely help ground you when you're doing this as kind of a root study. But if you just sit with them and you get to know them on your own without some of that, then it does become your own and you let them speak for themselves. So I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. My, my small knowledge about the history is that they're of course said to be connected to, I guess, like Viking culture or Scandinavian culture. Mm-hmm. But my our uh, past guest, my buddy Joachim Hagstrom from Sweden, he once told me that he tried to get to the bottom of the origin of runes, at least from his perspective as like a alternative history box saga type researcher, and he couldn't really find an a satisfying origin for them, and. I could be misquoting him, but I think he suspected they might have had some sort of like, you know, secret society, Masonic or Vatican related origin point. And I'd find that interesting, if correct, because I would assume that throughout the ages until the more tolerant modern times, that they would have been looked at as other divinatory tools and like evil of the devil. So, <laughs> yeah. This is, interesting topic but i feel like yeah your your relationship to any like you could make your own sigils and doesn't have to be from any specific culture 
it's just nice to have that scaffolding or framework of thought to tap into, especially because then when you start getting permutations of combinations, you have all sorts of potentialities open up for information. Mm -hmm. And I think the only way you could ever actually know for sure is to get really serious about tapping into your bones and your blood and listening to your ancestors, because if you're tuned into that stuff, you'll have downloads and knowledge that will either affirm or, you know, say, no, this isn't it. And I think that's a big part of it too, is not only seeing it as an academic study, but getting that other side of it yeah. and kind of learning to trust it, whatever it brings up. Yeah. That's really for anyone inexperienced with divination. That's really the whole game is that you have both sides of the brain working in tandem. Ideally the mm -hmm. left side, the analytical, the one that wants to break things apart piecemeal. Well, it's got this nice system of categorizations and symbols and pictures that it can have locked down and you know like, like there's only so many variables here. We, we've got all the variables accounted for and it makes the left brain comfortable. And then your right brain is the flow interpretive, you know, instinctual reaction. And so that's why I really like the I Ching deck that I have of, because you know, the traditional way to do the I Ching doesn't have anything to do with pictures, mm -hmm. but when you throw in a picture that, that really helps the right brain fire off too. So ideally these things are like you're half reading the traditional meaning of what's there. And then you're half applying it to the energy and the feeling that you're getting in that moment. Yeah. I think when you engage the right brain, you also help solidify all that knowledge into reality because that's what it's for. It's to create and manifest reality. So if you don't have that imagination going, you just have a bunch of elements sitting around and you don't know what to do with them. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We love dogs around here, or at least I do. Anyone that's out there doesn't love dogs. I'm sorry about the way your life has gone, but they're cool. <laughs> okay. So, you know, to continue this examination, I'd like to talk about, for example, maybe give us a few examples, what the runes mean, uh, you know, know hold one up show us the cool custom rune that you pulled <laughs> and let's kind of talk about the types of meanings that are tied to these runes how many are there mm -hmm. are there uh give us kind of like you know a beginning of the road explanation of the runes as a system okay so there are three sets of eight they're all called ayats and I'll go through some of these. I noticed when I was studying them that they kind of tend to operate in pairs. It's kind of neat to watch them interplay with each other. But the first two are pretty familiar. This one is Fehu. I don't know how well you can see that. And the second one is Uruz. And they're both cattle. Um, and they both tend to represent wealth but they're different types of wealth. So with Fehu, this is something that you have, these are cows that you own on your farm. You interact with them, you have a symbiotic relationship with them. This is the kind of wealth that you work with and in tandem. Urus is a wild ox and it represents wealth 
that's found in nature. So a good way to look at these and apply them, like recently I was looking for just a little extra income. And so I'm focusing on Fehu, you know, what do, what do I do to work? You know, how do I have the symbiotic relationship with the system? You know, I'm focused on that. And a lot of times in spiritual circles are like, oh, there's all this abundance. So it's like, well, what I really need to focus on is Urus. And it's easy to go out in my yard and say, well, all this wild kale, that's the easiest example of Urus. That's growing abundance. That's food for free, you know. But it's also kind of all your gifts. It's kind of that type of abundance. It's abundance that you're not really working for. It's just there and you tap into it because you're engaged with nature. So that's that's a way that you can look at those two runes and how to work with them. And that's kind of what you do when you go through all of these. They all have their own specific meaning, but how they play out in life can be very different. You know, it just depends on where you're at, what your understanding is, and how willing you are to shift and grow in that understanding. The uh, idea that these couple of runes represent cattle and also different types of wealth or abundance is interesting because there it ties into the pentacles of the tarot. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so the question that kept coming up in my mind from there is do you see any other ways that the two systems connect where as a person that's studied one do you ever ever like gain insight about the other system because of your insights from you know tarot to tarot to uh ruins or ruins back to tarot is there some interplay there by learning more than one system absolutely i was actually helping a friend Like we had a tarot party, which is super fun because she was really new to it. And she got so many pentacles and I kept hearing these runes. They kept coming up and like, she doesn't know anything about runes. You know, what, what, how can I even talk about cows right now? (laughs) And the easiest thing that came up honestly was Taurus. You know, astrology is one of those things that is so, that, that journey is so well known. It's so easy to tap into the archetypes are so clear and they can be so personal that, you know, using all these different systems can definitely enhance your understanding and it makes it easier to communicate that with other people. So in the Rockfin chat, Martin just said his dog chewed up his Ansu's rune, A-N-S-U-Z. Oh. <laughs> and he said, I thought now that's appropriate being that it stands for mouth. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, it also stands for a god. I don't know how well you can see it. So those are made of bottle caps, and you put those together yourself, right? Yes. You're supposed to make them out of wood, but I like metal, so that's what I did. So you're saying Um, it can stand for a god, you said? mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it stands for... Like, how do I describe this? It's like the one right before it. If if we're going to go with the hero's journey, let's... Let's keep with that. It's right after Urus, and that's Turisas, and that is Thor. So if you like, look at Thor, he is technically a god, but he's kind of that Aries energy. He's that I am, here I am, boom, lightning, right? And if you look at seasons, that's springtime, when the masculine and the feminine are new. 
So right after that, you have the mother and the father archetypes coming out. So Ansu's is that father archetype. It is that mouth. It is how you interact and what comes out of you. I mean, now that you know that you're a part of nature, now that you know you're God and you're part of the cosmos, what's coming out of you? And, you know, what's being put into you? What are you consuming as well? So I think it's it's kind of funny that his dog chewed that up because how's your relationship with nature going if your dog's mad at you? <laughs> or maybe it's a fun thing. Maybe it's like, hey, we're pals. What's yours is mine. Yeah, I mean, there's that unpredictability aspect mm -hmm. of even a seemingly domesticated beast still has free will. You can never erase free will from nature, no matter how much you try to look at it as the, as a mechanistic thing, a deterministic thing. Nature has always got room for surprises there. What I'm very interested in at the moment though, is you talked about a hero's journey and I know that you can take the tarot and the major arcana at least, and put those in, order and with the correct interpretation, maybe apply it to the pathways of the Kabbalistic tree of life that can be helpful. You can get to a hero's journey or a path of the fool, but I've never, like I said, I'm really inexperienced on the rune subject. So I've never looked at runes with the hero's journey lens. Could you kind of walk us through that a little bit? That sounds really cool. Sure. Um, it's a little bit different. Uh, it, it flows in a very different type of pattern. And I only figured this out by working with them. Um, I used Benjamin Balderson's idea for the world tree for Yggdrasil. So I spent a lot of time on each Ayet and looking at the journey through each one. And the first one kind of just sets you up as life on earth. So you do have this moment of, hey, I'm here. I'm, you know what I like about this cosmology is that maybe you know you're divine, but that doesn't mean you can't die. That doesn't mean that you don't interact with nature. And that's amazing to me. So, you know, in the first one, you kind of realize that you're here and that everything's very primal. The other runes after that have to do with awakening and being, going on a journey. I mean, literally the next rune after Ansu's is Rido and Rido has to do with journeys. It's, experiencing nature. It's symbolized by a horse and horses have their own culture. They have their own hierarchy. They have, it's interesting, these, all these cultures that are out there always look to a certain part of nature for an example. And horses right there, they didn't pick dogs. They didn't pick cats, horse. They're very particular about who they have in their family. It's a, it's a sign of protection. So as you're on this journey, you also get enlightenment. This is just in the first part of this. This is just the first set. So you have this moment of clarity because as you're journeying through the world, you're going to start learning. You're going to start seeing how things work, how they don't work and how they could work better. The last two runes have to do with getting a gift. Um, this one comes up for me so much this week. It looks like an X. And this gift is always incredible, but it also comes with a sacrifice. And modern day, it can be understood that a sacrifice is a negative belief pattern. 
you know, changing your mind, you can sacrifice old habits. That's probably the most profound. You know, if you're in survival mode, you might have to sacrifice your love of ducks one day because you might be really hungry and that's the only thing that's going to keep you going. You can eat plants all you want, but that might be the thing that saves your life. So you have to honor that. The last rune has to do with joy. And it's in going through this journey, just going through this set of eight, you've you've experienced life to the point where you're like, whoa, I get this. This is my first time here and it's good and it's hard and I can have a good time with it. It's okay. So it's like each set goes through this journey on this spiral because that's how time works. There, you know, the tropical astrology system is just a circle. And if you go in a circle, you're are you really changing anything? If you pay attention to nature, every season, you know, you experience fall and it appears to be the same, but it's not the same fall. It moves forward. So everything's a spiral. You're spiraling up this tree of Yggdrasil. So it kind of just goes through, you know, the first day, it's just kind of your, your foundation of being. And then the next one goes into time and cycles. And the last one goes into your divinity and really stepping into who you are and what you are capable of. And then it all just cycles right back. It's pretty cool. <laughs> really cool. There's a lot there to unpack. First, I do have to give everyone who's tuned in a warning that a YouTube user, Hassam Masconi, has let us know that we are practicing the devil's witchcraft and we will be punished by. Uh, Lord, <laughs> I blocked that user, but if anyone catches something like that before I see it, that's got a wrench, like, uh, um, I would love it if you could knock those out because as funny as they are, they're also totally unnecessary, a little bit distracting. And I think that's the, well, let's get into that right there because one of the probably stickiest things that somebody could say towards anyone listening that has like a dogmatic religious inclination is to equate a human being to the creator or the divine or to God. And while I totally get what you're talking about, and we're going to, we're going to break that down in a more digestible way it is uh, also an easily, easily misinterpreted epiphany, especially by the one having the epiphany. And what's come to me from years post the first time I had uh, an experiential knowledge of this truth was that we, if we are God or we're source energy, you can't, that doesn't make you above nature, above anyone else. Basically, if all is self, which is a maxim that I live by, then yourself, <laughs> there's nothing for it to be above. There's no way that you're like, the god if that makes sense you're a part of the eternal process and that process is what you're describing in the eternal return of these spiral paths like the runes or the you know the blooming and withering of yggdrasil nature works in an eternal cycle and breaking out of linear time breaking out of the chronos control system <laughs> does require a re integration of these cycles of re a recognition recognition of the cyclical nature of things that 
This isn't the highest achievement humanity has ever reached. Your life is not the pinnacle of all culture or expression that's ever existed in the realm. You're part of a process that is going to go to different places and it's going to come back to this place. It's all very useful to start thinking outside of linear time because then you're also not like, oh, I'm on a line. I'm on a deadline. You know, I've got to get here before the deadline hits. The fact is that when you're in the flow or the, the woo way, the effortless effort, effortless effort, you realize that eventually if all self, you're going to go everywhere. You don't actually have to take yourself anywhere, at least in a sort of struggling against fate type of way. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting balance that the practitioner of divinatory arts has to strike to be, I guess, good at it or advance uh, their goals for having a more harmonious relationship to the life force energy. And that is to both be practicing free will, but really freeing your will to be in alignment with the cosmic will or the, the all that is. So in a strange way, it's like gaining ultimate freedom and relinquishing control at the same time. And that's a strange paradox, but we've got to make that paradox clear that that's the way things work and to always be in the balancing between those perspectives of like, Oh, there's nothing I can do for, and uh, (laughs) cutting out that belief and saying, well, I'm eventually going to do everything. So, you know, how many more time, how many more, that's what I always ask my my dad when I see him drinking soda. I'm like, so how many more Dr. Peppers? (laughs) How many tell you've had like, Tell that's good. That's exactly how many I needed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. That's kind of meandering, but I'm sure there's some response ready to go there. I think you're right. I think one of the things that I, one of my favorite things to say about any of this, yay, hi, Corey, um, is that to do any of this, to explore spirituality, to dive deeper um, into any belief system, I don't really. I don't really care which one it is. You have to be okay with paradox because you're going to encounter it because everything is cyclical. Everything moves into itself. And the deeper you go, the higher you go, you're going to encounter that. That's just a fact. You're just going to have to be okay with it. (laughs) Kappa in the chat would like you to reflect on how you practically use runes. And I think that would be a great yeah Uh, next direction take yeah so i'll tie one into um i'll tell you one of my favorite runes and that is isa and it's ice and i recently read um the havamal which is attributed to odin (laughs) dude snake i hear you it's really funny um snake jones in the chat right then it said i went looking for jesus and i found odin i wish i was kidding what you find is what you find. Um, so I see ice a lot. And ice is usually, most readers will say, you know, this is Jotunheim, it's the giants, it's really big, bad, and scary. Ice is cold, you know, and it can be like that. And I've seen people just eat it on the ice and it's kind of hysterical. But something that Odin talks about in the Havamal is things that you can't trust. He's got oh, several stanzas. All these things that you can't trust among them is women, wheels and ice. 
And the reason that you can't trust this is because it represents the now. It's one of the first runes in the second part that has to do with time. And Isa is about the now moment. Why can't you trust the now moment? Because it can change. Yeah, it is what it is. It just is. And if you're too attached to it, that's when you have trouble because you expected an outcome. If I mean, think about walking on the ice. It's not stable. You think that it is. It has the illusion of stability. And maybe it's really deep and maybe it's not. And it, I mean, you can either stress out about it or make it a game. Like, I don't know if I'm going to fall in and die, but I'm going to try to make it across. And that's just kind of how you live every single moment. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And it's funny because like this rune actually comes after the future, which is Nothis. And you, it's like past, future, present, because you're looking at the past, you're looking at the future, and you're missing out on the present. You can't know what the future is. There's no way to accurately know. You can guess and you can think about things that you need to be prepared because that rune also has to do with your needs being fulfilled. But you're going to have to be in the moment. And that's, I love thinking about that. Like that's something that I have to look at in my life a lot. It's like, yeah, maybe ice is cold, but it reminds me to be in the now, (laughs) you know, and to not be so maybe I don't want to say too emotional over it because I think you should always pour your heart out into anything you do, but to be okay with mistakes, to be okay when things go wrong, you know, because there's so many factors to life. It's kind of a healthy non-attachment. It doesn't have to be super freezing cold. It can be just cold enough to where things don't have to hurt. So ice is the present. Mm -hmm. Just to make that clear. That's interesting. Uh, are there so is there elemental association with future or past? Um, what are they more it, just the abstraction of those two ideas? Yeah, so the past is represented by hell, um, Loki's daughter Hela, because that has to do with your ancestors, it has to do with the underworld and where all those memories come from and where they return to. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily an element, I think it would be kind of that in between when things reset, the void, the abyss, if you want to look at it that way, would be if that if you can consider that an element. Um, Nothis is represented by somebody rubbing sticks together, creating fire. So you could say fire, fire there. Fire and ice, it's a big, that's what this whole cosmology is about, is the balance between fire and ice. Yeah, which is also like the interplay between masculine and feminine and it's almost like the uh <laughs> the past energy being vo- associating that with void that totally makes sense because the past is so incomprehensibly huge and uh, non comprehensible yeah it's just this tangle of all the unconscious pathways and synchronistic miracles that led to the present moment where you're actually standing on ice and and navigating across ice, which is a totally crazy thing. And the future being fire or connecting that with fire makes sense as well, because it's like the, uh, the future is this 
it just sneaks up on you. It burns up quick. Like all of a sudden it's a, yeah. a flash of fire and you're already in the next moment. So, and the, the ice does require you to be paying a lot of attention to just like the slice of experience that you're in right then and there. And so that's what the present is. It's like this narrow band between these two extremes that it has your, theoretically it should have your full attention and your attention can only hold so much, no matter how far you expand your consciousness and your awareness, it's ultimately only going to be what it is you're thinking about right then. Even the so-called gods had this particular thing going on, you know, whatever they're for, they could get focused on things in the mythology and the lore. They weren't immune to passions or to emotions. And so where are we going to go from here? Uh, I want to talk about this Odin character. I mean, I keep getting, I just keep getting messages from people that I guess talk to Odin or, or he comes in their dreams. And sometimes they say it's Hermes and not Odin, which I think could be some crossover there. But I wonder because I've yet to have like a personal one-on-one -on -one experience in that way with a, a being that I could identify as such, but it's just too, at this point for me, too many people either anecdotally I hear about it or someone just straight up tells me that, yeah, I, when I close my eyes, I see visions of mm. Odin and Thor and stuff. <laughs> I've had people tell me that and like, I don't have any reason to distrust them and they don't know all the parades of other people that have told me similar things. So there's got to be something up with that. And one of the theories that I've been kicking around lately is maybe the, it's the part of self that sort of knows what it is, where it's at, the master alchemist, the, you could call it higher self, if you want to give it that type of a label, but it's sort of on this, is to go with the metaphor of a tree bearing fruit, it's like, it's the uh, fully developed tree maybe that you as a fruit that's just fallen off the parent's tree might have a destiny of growing into, but what are your thoughts on this being in this concept? I also see that a lot. Um, in the reference that I have, she's considered a priestess of Odin. And it's I've encountered quite a few priestesses, and it is very much about tapping into that ancient ancestor. If you want, that's kind of how I see a lot of these gods is ancient ancestors. And you can have a very close relationship with them. I myself have not met Odin. I've had other encounters. So I think if it's something that you're seeing a lot, then it's, you can say it's energy. You can say it's an archetype. You can say it's an entity. It's something that wants to work with you or come out of you. Um, it is the father. And I think it comes up a lot because part of the shift that we're in right now, um, just in history is phasing out the father into the son. This whole idea of the return of the king, things like that. You know, if you look at Abrahamic traditions, which you should because we live in a country that is shaped by them, um, we're not living in times of the father. Do you want to keep doing that? Because as amazing as that is, there are a lot of things that weren't working. And it has to do with the shifting of generations. You know, there are things that you should learn about the time before you. And maybe that's part of why it comes up so much. 
you need to learn these lessons because it's getting phased out. And if you don't learn the lessons, you're going to repeat the patterns. You know, that's really, I think, what it boils down to is if you don't pay attention to this, you're going to act like it. You're going to continue to act like it. And there are people who really take Odin too far. There are things about him you don't want to repeat. You know, he's not exactly the best guy. <laughs> he doesn't exactly have the best reputation. Uh, definitely same with Hermes. He yeah. Did some, did some pretty whack stuff in the lore. Yeah. And the, it's interesting that Hermes comes up. I think you can, you can compare them as alchemists. You can certainly do that. But I'm always very cautious of ideas that that kind of say, you know, this entity is the same entity all the way around and it's just changing facets and changing faces. And sure, archetypes pop up, but to say that it's exactly the same, I think is a little, I think that's problematic, but that's just me. <laughs> I would be care careful with that. I Yeah, I'm quick to jump to a syncretic perspective, but you make a really strong and valid point there. I haven't you know, I haven't given myself that thought freedom <laughs> yet that <laughs> since I got into syncretism to be like, well, wait, what? Maybe they're not the same, though. Maybe they they have similarities. Sure. But that could also come from the way that the stories we get about any of these characters have been doctored by <laughs> the dogmatists, if you will. So that's uh, that's pretty fascinating. I had just this is totally different, but maybe not. A different subject and you'll see when i get into like the words but i was looking at an article this seems out of left field but about the dark side of peter pan and the original story of peter pan and how it was like way more emo or goth <laughs> than what we see on like the christopher walken on stage thing and there's some interesting analysis in this article i have to dig it up i think i put it in the telegram chat it's not very long but this Peter Pan character was more like a kidnapper, uh, not, and he was keeping children in Neverland forever. And this, this uh, writer of the article was associating his constant conflict with the alarm clock or whatever, the clock and Captain Hook, the crocodile eats the clock. So it's symbolic of the battle against time and death, like Captain Hook and mm -hmm. the crocodile, they represent you know, the end of the timeline for this being that's trapped in an eternal childhood. And this is where I'm going with this is you're talking about, you know, being st stuck or not progressing forward sort of through willful ignorance of all the signs and all the aspects of nature that are urging you to continue your unfolding. But Peter Pan, interestingly enough, the reason I even brought it up is because what do they call Odin? call him the all father mm -hmm. but peter is like phonetically or etymologically it's coming from the same place as potter pater father mm. pan pan means all so peter pan is like the uh, an inversion almost of the all father it's like that energy being stuck in the pre-developmental stages not expanding further and what you get and this is what we see in our society right now is like this stasis, which is impossible in nature. There's really just decay. It's just entropy or centropy. There's not actually stasis, but it's this belief and this desire for stasis in an eternal youth, an eternal childhood. Don't want to grow up and become a, you know, crusty old man, or there's no benefit to 
to elder wisdom or whatever. And it's just like instant gratification, zero. I want zero consequences. I want to be bailed out for everything that does go wrong. And that's the eternal childhood Neverland wish. And maybe why the concept of someone like Peter Pan is went from being originally something kind of dark and uh, a scary story to Peter Pan's the hero and he's fighting that bad Captain Hook and, you know, mm -hmm. rebelling against death and aging. And soon we'll have the implants that will keep you alive forever and you'll upload your brain into the machine and whatever. But <laughs> so I don't know what that might spark in you thinking about, but that's it's, never would have thought when I started reading an article about Peter Pan that it was going to relate to talking about ruins and the all father. But there it is like Peter Pan, all father, but the yeah. inversion of it. That that's funny. Um, Peter Pan came up during a reading I was giving somebody who was an Aries, and that's a lot of people I meet who are Aries always bring up like, "I'm the eternal child. I'm Peter Pan." I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> As a drink out of my Spider Man, mug right? With, uh, I know, I'm, I'm wearing an Avatar: The Last Airbender T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, you can't even see like half the nerdy stuff I have. It's fine, but I think there is that. The problematic balance of how do you keep your inner child alive and still youthful and i think that's a that's big areas of medicine um one thing that came to mind was there were cults of odin running around that were known to be like wolf cults and if you think about wolves in nature what they do is they call herds and that's that warlike nature that's almost that child nature. I'm just going to mess stuff up because I can, you know? You're going to go loot somebody because you can. You're strong enough. You know, that's that's the type of energy that needs to be let go. And realizing that wolves have another function. They can represent family and finding your place in family and being a good unit. You know, there's all those negative things. Um, that just came up because... That's something that I learned recently about, but I think that's an interesting aspect coming up with Peter Pan. Cause I think the last time I tried to read it, um, I was like, this is actually really violent. I'm not surprised. It's very like, um, Lord of the flies almost, you know, <laughs> I mean, you think about an Island full of boys, what are you going to do? <laughs> but, but that's the thing is, you know, just trying to understand what that medicine is so that we can work with it to stay in that child nature, you're not stepping into the role of provider and protector. You're just always running around in warrior mode, messing stuff up. And maybe that's, how is that working in the world right now? You know, there are plenty of cultures who are still adapting that mindset. And I, I look at their countries and I'm like, what are you even spending your time doing? Like, this is what you're choosing to do for generations? How's that working for you? It's so. the uh, stagnations, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yep. I yep. Uh, came out of the super lit live chat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but dang, there's just uh, more to unpack about Peter Pan, I guess. Be one of the lines that was taking it from by this article that I was reading as being like, this is, this is why Peter Pan's so hardcore and uh, scary or creepy is, I guess the character at one point says, 
that death seems like a very great adventure. And the writer was like putting this tone on it, like, oh, he's obsessed with death, but, mm. and, you know, pointing out that he runs from death in a symbolic way. But on the other hand, you could have a very positive way of interpreting that line, in my opinion, that wouldn't it be better to look at every part of our journey, including what isn't a conclusion, but just uh, maybe even a reunion, that moment of transition that we call death and that is so widely feared. Actually, in my morning cards, the I do like an I Ching card, an animal card, and a tarot card. And I got death today in conjunction with the well, the well out of the I Ching. And that really gave a, a very clear message, which is that to go down, dive deep into the depths of the well to find your inner truth in the high pressure <laughs> low density regions of the unconscious where it's hiding from you not that it's hiding from you where you hit it <laughs> to protect it or or whatever you have to strip off all the clothing you're wearing metaphorically to dive that deep you have to hold your breath hold your tongue all the masks and personas that you're projecting have to fall away and that is where you go that is how you find the deepest aspect of you truly are just in the same way that that I am concept. If you were to any being on the realm, if it's a human or a different type of being, if you took away all its sense of identity, what it even is, as far as what type of biological creature it is, what its name is, what it did that day at, at the core, everything that's alive, no matter how much you took away from its psyche, you could never, without ending the psyche entirely, take away the sense or feeling of I am, that I exist. Existence is the, so existence to me is the deepest part of that well. And that's what death actually reveals. It reveals existence in a bizarre, another paradox there type of way, especially for those of us that have had experiences with communications from the dead or those who have crossed over and is that something that has ever come through for you in divinatory practice either with yourself or others have you know people that have crossed over almost communicated or seemingly directly gave signs through that type of work or in any way generally sometimes through this type of work i think they prefer to the ones that i've heard prefer to just speak directly um but i think that you know if it's your family they're very understanding to what your your particular style of communication is where you are with that you know hearing things is freaky to some people and maybe that's not something it's a gift for you but maybe it's not something that you are really wanting to step into so you know i think that it can be a good tool um the only way I know that any of it is from anyone like that is if I hear them acknowledge it. You know, it's, there's, they're tied to so many things. Um, I have a lot of German ancestry and that's where a lot of this connects for me. I know that there's some Scandinavian in there. I think Sweden, maybe I keep hearing that, but it's, you know, that's why some of these methods can be good mediums for that because it's tapping into a language you can both use. 
So sometimes, yeah, sometimes these symbols will come up and I'll be like, oh, I know that's from my granddad or I know that's from, you know, somebody way back. And then other times they would prefer to just talk to me. <laughs> so they're good tools to get you in tune um, and even thinking along those lines and even being open to that type of communication. You're already working with the highest aspect of you and tapping into your deepest self which is connected to the underworld and the other side where they are. So you're already kind of opening that up. You're already in a receptive state. So it can be, it can work both ways. And maybe for some people it's a lot more obvious and clear, but that's just how it seems to work with me. Right on. I do think I I tend to agree that it's going to be different for each person based on that you know what the protective part of yourself determines that you can handle without totally freaking out yeah <laughs> a little bit of freak out is okay <laughs> a little bit uh, i've lately i've been you know tempting fate if you will by like, directly talking to the protective part of myself and being like look i don't have time for this slow like peeling off of a band-aid as as uh, slowly as possible to avoid that brief moment of pain, I would like you to just please, and here I am saying it again, telling myself, go ahead and just like throw it at me. When you get this over with, we need to move on to more levels here because uh, the world is obviously not taking it slow in terms of how fast it's accelerating in the directions that I would prefer not to manifest. And that means that it's really on us to make the uh, inside to purify our temple to make the inside as much like we intend or will it to be in our highest will capacity in alignment with the life force energy so that the external will do you know follow suit there's always going to be duality in the external you're not going to like fix things quote unquote you're always going to see expansion requires that you are cognizant of how things are getting better and worse simultaneously it's just like what are your options and the true expansion into adapthood is gaining more and more multiplicity of options to the point where your practices are just what you're doing and it's not a discipline anymore it's like in this moment okay i'm going to go to this tool and then i'm going to bounce to that and you're not having to like make yourself do it but gosh i want to talk about so many things and we're wrapping up the first hour here we should talk about wolves a little bit because that topic came up and obviously really important to the the Norse mythology and the concept of wolf has some Native American connotations as well that I find interesting. In the second hour, I want to talk to you about gene keys and your experience with that system. Mm -hmm. And depending on time, maybe we'll even demo some uh, divination in hour two. We'll see where that goes. But we don't have to exactly rush out of the first hour. We do got to make our way towards those goalposts. Everyone should be aware that Rockfin is where Hour 2 is going to continue. People that are Patreon subscribers are also going to be able to catch the playback on Patreon tomorrow, but it won't be an interactive live stream. So anyway, Rachel, before I move us to the musical interlude, you can take your time, of course, but and, and first, thanks for talking with me today. And Kaylee, if you're out there or tuning in later, definitely all good that the internet did what it did. Don't blame yourself. It's all right. It's uh, 
like I said, it's my responsibility to make sure everything's all set and learning experience here. <laughs> I don't usually do lives. We got one of you and it's been super fun. We can probably going to just need to do more sort of like telegram family community weaving spiders welcome type podcasts in the future uh, as I as my time gets more free. But please, now that I'm done rambling and meandering through this attempt to close out the first hour, give us anything that you have hanging on the tip of your tongue regarding runes, regarding anything that we've already been talking about. Uh, maybe if there's a way that you want to be contacted potentially, or just you know through Telegram is fine by anyone interested in maybe working with you. I know you do sessions for people, and that's ramping up in your life as well, which is really cool. So. Help me get us to the uh, end of the first hour, Rachel, could you please? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for hosting. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you can find me on Telegram. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I do do sessions. Um, I do encourage people to learn on their own and to tap into their roots. I think that's something that I would like to leave a lot of people with is whenever you study any sort of system, try to get back to as much of the original source as possible. You know, whatever the oldest texts are that are translated, find those and really, really make it yours and really be open to an experience and not so left brain, you know, just got to know. But yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I just dropped the Telegram link in the chat. People can uh, go join our awesome group and just tag at Rachel, I guess, or is a different um, username. We'll see you in there. Yeah, you can find me directly. It's pretty easy. Okay, cool. Uh, and to play us out, the in-between music, I've got a cool track for our musical break from my buddy Dean, a.k.a. Lucid, a wild man from St. Louis who plays like 12 different instruments and live loops it and really good stuff. So check out the show notes for a link to Lucid's SoundCloud. And uh, going to play us out with that track. In the next three or so minutes, Rachel, you and I have the freedom to get up, go get some tea or go to the bathroom, and then meet back here for the beginning of the Rock Fin second hour. And YouTubers can spend the musical interlude break time navigating over to Rock Fin to catch us there. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We will see you YouTubers later. It's been a really good first hour, kind of flew by. And I'll catch you all on the other side.
song dude's so good and cool in real life like uh, a homie so tune into lucid on soundcloud if you've been listening a while i you know yeah. i try to stretch it out as long as i can but he makes so much music i could just pick his songs every time and i'd be happy with it anyway rachel welcome back nice job got to compliment your tablet for restarting in the adequate amount of time <laughs> and uh thanks for the a fun first hour this has been really great so far yeah, thank you. It has been enjoying it. So since I guess I got to steer things in the direction we're going to go, um, I want to return to that question that was asked about finding like a practical rune usage. Like, do you just pull them out of a bag? Do you do you toss them all on the ground and see how they scatter? Is there a lot of different ways to do it? What What's the process or do you make it your own? So traditionally, you are supposed to kind of just throw them and see how they land. There are like different all of them, like the whole bag of runes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, essentially, what you do is you have kind of something laid out. Um, it could be, I don't know, maybe you have circles in four corners or something. And whatever runes fall towards those, those are the ones that you read. Or you only read anything that's turned up right you know, that type of thing. So there are traditional ways to do it. Um, I prefer to just put my hand in the bag and see what, what I'm drawn to, which one wants to speak, you know, be open to that type of thing. It's not that they're alive, but, you know, energetically you can sense what wants to come out. So that's usually what I do. Um, I have laid them out all different kinds of ways. When I read for people, I'll just pull three or you know, something like that for past, present, future. You can definitely use them that way, like you do with tarot. Um, I've laid them out on the Gene Keys, holo you know, holographic profile, <laughs> which is so cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can, they're pretty multifaceted. Um, but I also am the kind of person who's going to push boundaries. So <laughs> maybe not so traditional. Uh Kappa, just let me know I'm still live on YouTube. Kind of forgot to turn it off. It's not automatic. <laughs> you guys got an extra little bit, which is cool because I wanted that part in the first hour anyway. So looky there. The uh, <laughs> the fates have smiled upon me and everything worked out perfectly. We are going to cut the stream now for YouTube. I'll drop that Rockfin lap uh, link into your laps right now real quick. <laughs> Kappa shouldn't have let me know. I would have noticed eventually, I think, but hey, we gotta we gotta do what we gotta do for reciprocation and so also sometimes to avoid the nasty algorithms that YouTube plays. All right, Kappa, good to have you in here. Good to hop in our telegram if you wanna keep the after party going. And everybody on the free hour, catch you on the flip. Goodbye again. <laughs>